The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The word of God for the people of God. Well, hey, good morning. Preaching with some limitations this morning, so you're going you're gonna to get a lot of this. You feel like you're getting clubbed with my cast over and over again with my nonverbal gestures. Uh, hey, my name's Bob, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors uh, here within our church community. Before we dive into Psalm 46, um, I want to do a few things by way of sort of um, introductory work and setting the stage. First thing I want to do is a quick giving update from the month of May. And so you'll see on the slide here uh, the budgeted and then the giving and then actual expenditures. And so we put this out there every month just so you can have a sense of our stewardship as a church. Now, I know as you look at that, those are big numbers because we're a big church and you're like, all right, I'm not exactly sure how that maps onto my part in that in a real specific way. Um, but I want to remind you that all that giving that we do together is our way of advancing the mission of God together as a church. And as the church grows, uh, those expenses grow. And so we adapt our budget every year accordingly. And if you just want a little taste of the kinds of things that lets us do, then just remember that in this building last week, uh, we hosted VBS for 350 kids. Uh, it was a huge, huge event, 150 adult volunteers. Um, a lot of energy and time and expense went into that. And so those are the kinds of things that we're able to do as a church as we give together. So thank you uh, for your continued stewardship and investment of the resources God has given you. Uh, and again, though we uh, always say, hey, we don't take an offering, during our worship service, um, we're very aware that giving is an act of worship. Right? This is what Christians do. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so this is how we honor the Lord um, in our lives. 
The other thing I want to do as we sort of um, prepare to look at Psalm 46 is just talk for a minute about um, what are we all doing here? Like, what is it that brings us into this room this morning? And I, I wonder if maybe the simplest way to describe that is just to say this, that every one of us is a human being, and every one of us is trying to make sense of the world as we find it, right? So we are born into a life and born into a world, and we are wanting to and seeking to make sense of our reality as we experience it. Every human being is doing that. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, whether you grew up in a religious tradition, whether you grew up in a totally irreligious world, all of us are trying to make sense of the world as we find it. And there are a lot of ways of going about that. And if you sort of trace the history of humanity and especially of philosophy, there's sort of three approaches to how human beings seek to make sense of the world. You might call them rationalism, empiricism, and subjectivism. Right? These are three ways of us making sense of the world. So rationalists are people who believe that the way to make sense of the world is by thinking about it. The classic statement of Descartes, I think, therefore I am, is the starting point of rationalism. Right? Let, let me think my way through the world and analyze it and make sense of it according to my mind. Empiricism, this is sort of the, the beloved discipline of the hard sciences, right? The empiricism, empiricists are people who say, you know how we're going to make sense of the world is through what we can see, taste, touch, feel, smell. It's the five senses. It's what we can uh, put our hands on and experiment with. That's how we make sense of the world we're in. And so we learn through our senses and through taking in. And then especially in the 20th century, uh, there was the rise of subjectivism, which are people who say, you know what, we can't always trust our thinking and we can't always trust our senses. And so really what we have to do is we have to make the best guess about the world we live in based on our intuition and sort of how we sense the world inside of us. So the best we can do is sort of to impose meaning on the world based on sort of how we sense that things are or ought to be. Whichever of these approaches, approaches you sort of take to making sense of the world you live in, all three of them bump up against the same reality. And that's simply the reality of our humanness, of our finiteness, of our limitation. If you like movies, what movies do well is they play with the limits of all these ways of thinking. If you've seen movies like The Matrix or Inception or The Sixth Sense, right? Movies like this basically say, hey, can you really trust what your senses tell you? Can you really trust what you think about the world? Is it really true that how you imagine the world is, is the way the world is? And when you really ask those questions, the answer is no way to be sure. So all of these approaches to making sense of reality imprison us in our own limitations. They bump up against the reality that we are human beings and we can't exhaustively know the world because we are finite and limited. And so the only thing that can get us out of this problem the only hope we have for making sense of the world in a way that's real and true is if there's a possibility of revelation. If there is a God who can reveal himself and who can reveal truth, who can break into our reality from the outside and help us understand what's really true. We are here this morning because God has in fact revealed himself. He's revealed himself, first of all, in what theologians call general revelation. That's just the world we live in, what we can know based on our senses and our intuitions and our thoughts. There's all kinds of true things that exist in the world that we can know because God 
has revealed it, has made himself known through nature and in our own souls. But even more importantly, God has revealed himself in what we call special revelation, his, his word. And so we come here every Sunday to consider what has God said? What has God revealed in his Word And because we believe there is a God and because we believe revelation really can happen, that God really can make things known to us, then we come to ask, what has God said? What has God revealed? And how does that help us then make sense of reality and live meaningfully in the world we find ourselves in? And every summer, we turn our attention to the Psalms here at Quorumdale. And this is one of my favorite rhythms that we have. I don't know what the summer is like for you, but I'll tell you what it's like to be a pastor in the summer. Everybody goes on vacation. Uh, you don't all go on vacation at the same time. That's why you guys are all here this morning. But generally in the summer, people come and go and they have different rhythms because it's sort of a different time of year. And so people are leaving and coming and going and there's a different sort of pattern that our lives together take. And so we made a commitment years ago as a church just to say, you know what we're going to do every summer is just spend time together in the Psalms. Um, in the heart of this sort of songbook in the Bible, there's 150 of them. So by the time we get all the way through them, you will have forgotten what we said about them, and then we can start over again, right? So it's kind of a good rhythm because you could just keep doing it. But also it's, it's foundational to consider these songs of worship that are in the Bible. And so it helps us have a, a pattern, an expectation to look forward to each summer, even in light of how our lives sort of change in their rhythms in the summertime. And so this morning we come to Psalm 46, which you just heard read a moment ago. And uh, here's what I want to talk about this morning. Here's the outline for the sermon. I want to consider what this psalm teaches us about God, why we doubt what this psalm teaches us about God, and what we should do. What does this psalm teach us about God? Why do we doubt it? And what should we do in light of that? So let's look, first of all, at just what this psalm teaches us about God. Let's just get our minds in Psalm 46. If you have a Bible, uh, turn there. If you're using the Bible under your seat, you'll find it on page 441. I want you to look at the text, and here's why. Because I'm about to make an observation that your eyes will make clear to you as you look at the page. You guys have all listened to the radio, and so you know how to make sense of a song. Like when you listen to a song, whatever genre that song might be in, you can tell, oh, here's a verse and here's a chorus. Um, here's a theme and here's a, a resolution to that theme. You sort of know how to pay attention to, okay, here's the verse of the song and now they're coming back to the chorus again. And the Psalms are very much that way. Every Psalm has a structure to it. They're written as songs. And so usually when you look at it on the page, you can sort of see the structure of it. You can see that Psalm 46 breaks into basically three stanzas, three verses. It begins this way in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then there's this little word selah in the text, which is just a, a word that implies a pause, a musical break. Maybe it's a guitar solo. Who knows what it is in ancient Hebrew? But the idea is there's a pause there, right? So when you see that word selah, that's cluing you in. that like, all right, there's, there's a pause here for meditation and reflection. So you notice... The psalm comes right out of the gate with the words, God is. 
Psalm is telling us what God is like. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That word present is a word that literally means findable. God is not hiding from you. God is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then you have this cataclysmic language, right? Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. This is this, this language is of cataclysmic upheaval. It's saying no matter how chaotic and crazy life gets, God is our refuge and strength. Then verse 4, we move into an image of the city. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's your chorus. You're going to see it again at the end of the psalm, and it's riffing on verse 1 again, the idea that God is our refuge or fortress, and the idea that he is with us. So in this second stanza of the psalm, we see this picture of a city, that's made glad by the presence of God, and God is in the midst of this city, and though the nations rage, and the earth is in all this upheaval, and all the peoples of the earth rise and fall, God is with his people and is their fortress. Then in the last stanza, verse 8, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The language here, obviously, is the language of War and desolation, right? It's basically saying, hey, you know, uh, you know that coup that happened in Russia yesterday for like 12 hours and then apparently it didn't happen after that? Guess who's sovereign over all, over all of that? God is. Um, all the sort of wars and rumors of wars, all the upheaval that exists on the earth, nations rising against nations and kingdoms rising against kingdoms, all of that is under the providential rule of God. And he's the one who breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. Ultimately, God is bringing peace on earth, even though it seems that sometimes as though the earth is full of violence and chaos. And so God says to the nations, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I know that's a coffee cup verse that all of you have on like a cross stitch hanging in your house. But that's not what's happening here. God's not telling you to be still. He's telling the nations that are raging to be still. He's saying, you guys can have all the wars you want. You can have all the upheaval. You know what? Doesn't matter. I'm going to be exalted in the earth. Now, it's still good for you to be still as well. So you can apply this verse to yourself. I'm not saying the coffee cup has to get smashed when you get home. I'm just saying this psalm, God is very much speaking to the nations and saying, hey, be still. Know that I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the earth. And then you'll see that concluding chorus in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in this psalm, notice what you have. You have these images of cataclysmic upheaval, the kinds of things that turn the world upside down and that really disorient our lives. And in the midst of all of that, God's people are glad in him. God's people are not moved or perplexed or fearful in all of that. Why? Because God is their refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. So we just walked through the psalm real quickly so that you can see, hey, you can do this. 
Like this psalm has three verses. The images are very clear and evident. It's not hard to figure out what this psalm is telling us about God. It's celebrating the fact that God is present with his people and God is a refuge for his people. That's what this psalm teaches us about God. It's telling us God is present with his people. Notice the language of with. And God is a refuge for his people. Those are the two themes in this psalm. God's present with his people. God's a refuge for his people. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. As Martin Luther wrote 500 years ago after reflecting on this psalm. That famous hymn is just written right out of the words of Psalm 46. That's what the psalm teaches us about God. God is present with his people. God is a refuge for his people. That's great. Now let's talk about why we doubt this psalm. Okay? It's cool to come and say, hey, here's what the Bible says. Here's what God says is true about him. That's true. The problem in our lives is we're not always convinced that it's true, are we? Why do we doubt what this psalm teaches us about God? Well, quite simply, because there are times in your life and in my life when God seems absent, aren't there? God is a very present help in trouble, and yet have there not been seasons of trouble in your life when it feels like God is not very present? Have you not gone through seasons, maybe you're in one right now, where it just feels like the presence of God is not evident. That's not unusual among the people of God. It's actually common among the people of God. There are whole psalms that reflect that reality. We just looked at one of them two weeks ago. So at the same time, you have Psalm 46 saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You also have Psalm 44, verses 22 and 23. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. So God is a very present help in trouble. God, why are you asleep? Both of those are in the same songbook. Because both of them speak to our reality, to what we actually experience. Or you might think of Psalm 22, the famous lament that Jesus himself cries from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? I cry by day, but you you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Or you might think of that famous phrase in the prophet Isaiah, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel. It's just true that in your life and in my life and in the experience of God's people throughout time and history, there are seasons and moments where it seems as though God is absent. And so though you can hear the words of Psalm 46 saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, If you've lived long at all, you've also experienced trouble 
and sense that maybe God isn't as present as you would like. There's dissonance sometimes between our experience of God and what Scripture says about God. And so what does that lead to? What does that lead to? Look again at Psalm 46, verse 2. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. What keeps us from fearing? Knowing, believing, experiencing that God is our very present help in times of trouble. And so when we don't sense that, when we don't know that, we don't live in confidence that God is present with us in trouble, what tends to dominate our lives and souls is fear. Worry, uncertainty. And isn't it true in your life that most of the negative emotions, most of your compulsive behaviors, most of the things you might look at and say, that's not the kind of person I really want to be, how much of that is driven by fear? By just a sense that maybe it's all up to you. Maybe you're alone in the world. Maybe the best you have to offer is just the best you can do. Because we're all finite and because we're all limited, if that's what it depends on, then you ought to be pretty fearful. Why do we doubt what Psalm 46 teaches? Well, because there are times in our lives when it seems that God is absent. And so the question is, well, what should we do? What should we do about that? And I want to show you that Psalm 46 is actually giving us the answer to that question. It's not only teaching us what is true about God, it's showing us what we should do in moments where we doubt what is true about God. So what should we do? Well, quite simply, we could summarize it this way. We should seek the presence of God. You see, Psalm 46 is designed to awaken something in you. A longing for the presence of God. A hunger for the nearness of God that spurs you, that drives you to actually seek after God. God is our refuge and strength. Those words ought to stir something in you. They ought to stir in you a sense of hunger. See, there's two ways to relate to Psalm 46. You can relate to it as words on a page, or you can relate to it as God's self-revelation, as God's invitation to His people to know Him and to seek Him and to find that He is, in fact, a very present help in trouble. There's a famous invitation in Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he may be near. Same Hebrew word that's here in Psalm 46. Same invitation. Hey, seek the Lord. Call upon him. That's what we ought to do in light of the dissonance between what God tells us is true and what we experience sometimes is true. What ought we to do? We ought to seek the presence of God. Now, let's just be real honest for a minute, okay? Some of you actually do not want a God who is present. 
you're very happy with a God that is distant. It's to your advantage to keep this just words on a page and a nice room that you can show up in and sing some nice things about God because if God were to be real and were to be present, that would change some things in your life. And you're very comfortable keeping God distant. If that's where you find yourself this morning, I hope the Holy Spirit will provoke you that that's not a very enjoyable, satisfying life to live. But for most of you, I'm convinced of better things. I'm convinced actually you do long for the presence of God. You do long for a deep experience of God. And listen, the Bible will will let you relate to it as words on a page if you want to. If you want to leave here this morning and be like, cool, that was a good sermon. Let me go on with my life. You can relate to it that way. But if you seek the presence of God, if you say, God, I want to know your very present help in trouble. God, this doesn't seem real in my life right now, but I want to know this as real. I want to know you this way. If you actually seek the presence of God, as this psalm invites you to do, something begins to change in how you hear this psalm. It can't possibly remain words on a page when you long for the presence of God and start to use this psalm that way as a way of engaging the God who says he is a very present help in times of trouble. When you seek God, something begins to shift in your heart and your posture and your soul and how you relate to these words of Psalm 46. Listen to, oh, got real dark all of a sudden. It's great, I like it. like it. Um, let me listen to the words of the 20th century theologian J.H. Bovink. He writes this. Faith is not a recognizing by the intellect, although the intellect has a part in it. Faith is not a feeling and experiencing by the heart, although the heart also works in it. Faith is a thing from the whole person, and yet it exceeds the person. In faith, There is a voice from God within that binds the Christian to the word of God, which is external to him. Did you catch that? A voice from God within that binds the Christian to the word of God, which is external to him. He goes on to say, Christianity is an inner fellowship with God in the word. A life with God through the word. Let me say that again. Christianity is an inner fellowship with God in the Word. A life with God through the Word. Just to reinforce it, you can't have fellowship with God apart from His Word. If there are days when the soul feels itself further from God, when the soul becomes inwardly cold and dull, it still has the Word that gives direction to its life and that it can expect and hope in. God wants to have fellowship with you through his word. And even when your soul feels cold and dull, what you still have is the word that you can expect and hope in. 
The most important thing you need to see this morning is that God makes himself known here. God wants to have fellowship with you here through his word. The way you engage and encounter the presence of God is in his word, through his word, by his word. This is the voice of God speaking to you as his people. So what do we do when we encounter the text of scripture that says God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble? What do we do when we read those as words on a page and don't feel it as true in our lives? The answer is we seek the presence of God. We come after God as he reveals himself in his word. And God comes near. God is present through his word. Listen, you ever been around? There's a bunch of my friends uh, in my gospel community that are having babies recently. And if you've ever been around a new mother or father with an infant child, how do they make their presence known to that child? Often through words, right? Like they talk to that baby. Can that baby understand them? Not for a few years yet. But that doesn't stop them from making themselves known to that infant in words. Why? Because words communicate presence. Words make known. I'm here. I see you. I know you. You belong to me. Doesn't matter that that infant child is not yet capable of understanding everything that's being said. Words communicate presence. And in the same way, friends, God's word communicates his presence to his people. God comes near to us through his word. That's what he's doing this morning through Psalm 46. And the word of God leads us to the word, God's revelation in and through his son, Jesus Christ. The greatest word, right? How is God our refuge and strength? How is God a very present help in trouble? Well, most clearly and most evidently through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, our deepest trouble, ask yourself this question. A very present help in trouble. What is your deepest trouble? Do you know what your deepest trouble is? Alienation from God. Now, there's all kinds of other troubles you probably have, but your deepest trouble is alienation from God because of sin. And so God has come as a very present help to his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God himself took on flesh, entered into our world as a real human person, lived in our place, died in our place on the cross, and rose from the dead in our place in order to be our most present help in trouble. Like the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the most clear representation of Psalm 46. How is God a very present help to his people in trouble? By becoming one of us. Like that's pretty present, right? That's pretty real. And I like to imagine as we preach the Psalms and we try to help you do this as readers, one thing you should imagine is just Jesus as the great singer of all of these songs. Imagine Jesus in the garden or perhaps on his way to the cross or maybe even on the cross saying these words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way 
though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Imagine Jesus saying those words outside Jerusalem on a cross. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, says the one who was speared in the side by a Roman soldier. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God has made himself most known and most present to us in and through his son, Jesus Christ, our very present help in trouble. I was at a store yesterday and I was the cashier, you know, I was like in line and I came up and the cashier was like, hey, how are you today? And she didn't even look up from what she was doing. You know, she was just like scanning stuff. She's like, hi, how are you? And I was like, fine. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this small talk thing. I don't like, like every store makes their people do this. Like you're actually supposed to talk to the customer, except nobody actually is looking at the person they're talking to. So I'm going to like move toward her in this moment. And so she's still looking down, you know, and I said, I mean, actually I have a broken wrist, so I could be better. Because I just want to see, like, do you really care about how I am? Or are you just asking the question because it's the job protocol, you know? So, like, I mean, I guess I could be better. And she looks up at me, and without missing a beat, she goes, could also be worse. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, really? That's true. <laughs> could always be worse. And it just reminded me in this moment, right? I mean, think about what this psalm is telling you. If you have Jesus, if your deepest trouble, your alienation from God has been solved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what else could you fear? Like there's a lot of other stuff that can go wrong in life. There's a lot of things that can set your world off kilter. But listen, therefore we will not fear. Why? Because our deepest trouble has been solved. Our deepest guilt has been removed. Our deepest shame has been covered. What else could we fear? Like when we really see what God has done for us in Jesus, it makes us sing Psalm 46 with even more joy and resolve because we realize, yeah, our deepest trouble has been resolved and removed through Jesus. If you have Jesus, what else could you fear? Honestly, nothing. God is present to us in his word. God is present to us in his son. And through the work of his son, God is present to us in and through the Holy Spirit. Notice again this river imagery in verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. What does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is like? John chapter 7, like a river of living water welling up to eternal life. God himself is the river who makes glad the city of God. See, when you seek the presence of God in his word, and when you come to know the presence of God in his son, Jesus Christ, God sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And what the Holy Spirit does is to awaken faith in the word. Remember that quote we read a few minutes ago, the voice of God within binding us to the voice of God without. 
Like the Spirit of God awakening a real confidence in and a, and a meeting with God through the Word of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit helps you and me sing Psalm 46 with joy and with hope. No matter our current troubles, no matter the real trials we are walking in, we can sing Psalm 46 with joy and hope. Listen, I want to remind you that this is not an individual, but a communal psalm. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Part of what you need when you're experiencing difficulty, trouble, confusion, uncertainty, doubt, despair, discouragement, when all of those things are present in you, do you know what you need? You need to be among a people who can still say these words. God is our refuge and strength. Hey, we don't need you to be strong today because God is our refuge and strength. Like we're saying these things are true and we're believing these things together and you're part of this and you're one of us. I mean, God's people have been singing Psalm 46 for centuries. And it's always been true that as they sing it, they're in the midst of various troubles. So how can the people of God say, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way? Well, because we know that the earth has given way, that on the cross of Jesus, God himself absorbed all of our sin and all the chaos in order to set us free. And so therefore, we can sing these things with hope and confidence, and we actually need to be around the people of God to believe, yes, God is our refuge and strength. Like, why did Martin Luther write that hymn? A mighty fortress is our God. Because you need to be in a room with people singing those words even when you feel like you're on the edge, about to fall into despair or discouragement. That's what the Psalms are for. That's what all worship songs are for, is to express our hope and confidence in God despite our circumstances. So listen, let me ask you two questions as we close and as we prepare to sing and to come to the table and celebrate the presence of God with us. Two questions for you. Um, what is your present trouble? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. What's your present trouble? What's your present distress? What did you walk in here troubled with? Do you know, will you hear that God is a very present help there, in that place? And second, what are you here seeking? What are you after? What are you here seeking? My longing is that you would be here seeking God. Not just here to hear a sermon or encounter some words on a page, but to seek the living God who makes himself known in his word, in his son, and in the presence of his spirit among his people. Let's seek him together in prayer. Would you join me? Our God, we say to you this morning that you are our refuge and strength. 
a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So would you meet us in all the places in our lives where there is fear and where there's trouble? The places where we're prone to feel alone and isolated and disoriented and confused. Would you this morning help us to seek you there? Would you give us the grace of not walking out of here having encountered some words on a page? But give us the grace this morning of encountering the living God who speaks through his word, who is present with his people, who has come near to us in our deepest trouble, and who now offers himself as an ever-present God among his people. Scott, we need your presence this morning. We need your help. Come and make yourself known to us and give us the grace of encountering you, a very present help in trouble. Thank you that even this morning, the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Help us to seek refuge in you, we pray. Amen.